the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light. That it was good. Well, good morning and thanks for the greeting. That was awesome. One little child excited to be here. That was fantastic. That brings me a lot of joy, actually. Uh, It is wonderful to have you here. If you're a guest, thank you so much for being here. And you picked a good weekend. We're starting a brand new series called Let There Be Light. And as I was thinking about that, Let There Be Light, my mind kind of went to Michigan. And I know that you're trying to figure that out. Let me explain it to you. I'm, I'm one of those people that just absolutely adores Michigan. I mean, I love this state. It is such a great place. It's just awesome. And we have people from all around the world who watch what God's doing here at Northridge. And I just want to say, I apologize that you have to live in places like Hawaii and Florida and the Fijis. I'm sorry. Uh, Not all of us can be called of God to be in Michigan. But I I really do love, love Michigan. I, I love the seasons in Michigan. And yes, I even love winter. I just am one of those crazy people who loves winter. But to be honest, there's one aspect of winter that I just don't love. And it's the darkness. I mean, seriously, it shouldn't start getting dark at 4 p.m. anywhere on this planet, right? It is nuts that it's dark so long during the winter. And that's the one thing I love about summer. It's not, it's not so much the heat, but it's the light. And I hear people from Michigan complaining, by the way, about everything. But one thing they complain about is daylight savings time. And I love daylight savings time. Are you kidding? Who doesn't like it to be light at 10 o'clock at night? I love that. In fact, why don't we double daylight savings time? I, I'm, I just really love the light. And how many of you agree with me on that? You're, you're kind of into the light hours. Yeah, sure. Well, at least for me, this idea carries over to life itself. I, I prefer in life light over darkness. And by that, I mean, come on, I, I, I prefer good over evil, positive over negative, love over hatred. I love selflessness over selfishness and joy over sadness and discipline over laziness and faithfulness over betrayal and hope over despair. I love in life, in this world, light over darkness. And I don't think I'm alone. How many of you agree with me on that? You like that too? Yeah, okay. Did you notice that the enthusiasm for the spiritual light wasn't near as big as the physical light? Did you notice that? Yeah, we're, we're still struggling in our spiritual journey. But of course... I mean, I start saying I prefer light over darkness, joy over sorrow and all that stuff. And you go, really? You have to say that out loud? Come on, who doesn't? But, but unfortunately, though, I think it's pretty obvious most of us would choose light over darkness, at least in theory. As with our Michigan winners, so in life, there's still too much darkness, right? In fact, let me just be really, really honest. As much as I prefer light over darkness... All the good things over all the bad things, I often experience the darkness more than the light. And that's pretty odd. When I look around our world, I I have to tell you, I, I think darkness is winning. Darkness is winning in most of the pieces of the world we see. And darkness is winning in most of the pieces of our lives that I see. And darkness is winning in most relationships as as I see them. And that's interesting because I've not met the person who doesn't say they, they love light more than darkness, and yet darkness seems to be getting more playtime. Darkness seems to be winning more than the light. Which brings up, for me at least, two questions. Why is that? I mean, well, if we prefer light over darkness so much, then why is the darkness winning so much? I mean, that's an important question. And then, 
And then when we get at that, then we have to say, what, if anything, can we do about it? I mean, if we really would like light to win over darkness, then what can we do to change it so light is winning over darkness? And those two questions are questions we're going to be attempting to answer and then go beyond in this new series, Let There Be Light. And I just can't encourage you enough to be a part of it and to be inviting others into it. It is foundational. But let's kick the series off with the essence truth, the big picture truth that has to, has to go behind this entire series. And it's three simple words with profound meaning, as you'll see. Here's the truth. God is light. God is light. God is the original source of light, and God is the only ultimate source of light. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. That's what he is. He's light. He's all light. And so the Bible adds, it should be logical. It should be a no-brainer. But the Bible adds so that we'll get it. Since God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. Right? God's light. In him is no darkness at all. It's, it's all light. It's what we prefer. It's what we were made to prefer. Light over darkness. That's who God is. Now think about it. Since God is light, that means that God's presence results in light. Right? I mean, he's light, no darkness. So when God shows up, when God is present... It always results in light, no darkness. The darkness is gone. He invades darkness and then consumes it with light. A great example of this is found in creation. When God created, this mass of a universe was dark. And then God showed up and he created light. Let me read it for you in Genesis chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Darkness ruled until God created. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. And so, you know, God showed up in this mass of darkness and what immediately happened, light was present. It has to happen because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And even if darkness is all-consuming, if God shows up, darkness is gone. It no longer rules because God is light. A lot of people say, well, of course, you know, the darkness went to light because, because God created the sun and the sun gives us light. No, read the creation story. On the first day, God showed up and there was light. It wasn't until the fourth day that he created the sun. In fact, a lot of people have a problem with this. This thing it doesn't even make sense. And he makes sense. I mean, light and then the sun. I thought the sun was the source. No, God is the source of the sun. And God wanted us to know light comes from him. Nothing that he created, it comes from him. He's the source. This is big. So when God is present, the result is light. Got it? Let's look at the opposite. If God is absent, what's the result? Yeah, it just makes sense. God is light and in him is no darkness at all, but... But think about it, without him, there's no light at all. So if God's absent, then there's no light. There's just darkness is the result. And this is clearly seen in the Garden of Eden, in that place that was known as paradise, where Adam and Eve were originally placed. It was a place of light because God's presence was there. God walked with them. The Garden of Eden was absent of any moral darkness any spiritual darkness it was consumed with light because it was consumed by God it was ruled by God but Adam and Eve you know they rejected God they rejected the only source of light and the only source of joy and there was only one thing that could take its place darkness paradise was lost Because they pushed God out of their lives and out of their world and darkness and death was the only thing that could take its place. And God had warned them and warned us. So many people don't understand the Bible, they just don't get it. God God wasn't punishing, he was saying, look it, I've created you with life and in the light 
and I've made you to walk with me and to live with me. But know this, I'm the source. Push me out and I'm going to give you free choice because unlike everything else in the world that I've created, I'm giving you my image and my image demands choice. But if you choose life without me, you're choosing darkness and death. Look at Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. There's the essence of darkness. Destruction. God warned them, you reject me. And all you have left is darkness and death. Because I'm the only source for light and life. Big deal. And what did they do? Well, of course, they didn't reject him. Oops. Look at Genesis 3.23. So the Lord banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. Why? Because they had pushed God out. They had rebelled against him. They had said, we can do better without you. Life will be filled with more light if we don't have you burdening us with all your junk, God. And so God said, okay, do life without me. But there's no light and there's no life. Everything was cursed. They were banished from paradise. They lost it. Everything in the, the world was filled with darkness. All of creation. The ground was filled with darkness. It would no longer produce fruit and harvest like it was supposed to. It would be toil and pain. The woman would go from experiencing the life of pleasure she was meant to experience in the light to a life of darkness and pain the man would go from the life of pleasure God created him to experience in the light to a life of pain and the darkness both would have to work at life and toil at life and sweat through life because light is pleasure and darkness is pain and Where God is present, the result is pleasure. But where God is absent, the result is pain, light, and darkness. Now this is the truth. God is light. But it's not as simple as it sounds because this truth explains so much. It explains why there's so much darkness in this world. It explains why there's so much darkness in our own lives and why there's so much darkness in our relationships. And remember... With the man and the woman, they had walked in intimacy, in perfect intimacy, in the pleasure of love, in the pleasure of intimacy, in the pleasure of purity. But then when they were absent from God, what happened? They only knew pain. They were blaming one another and attacking each other and separated from one another in conflict. And God said, you're both going to want to rule each other and no one's going to win. It's going to be war. This is why so many of you had such an awful ride to church this weekend. The truth is God is light. The reason there's so much darkness in our world lives and relationships is because, get this, we're leaving God out of them. Because when God is present in them, what's the result? Light. Pleasure. When God is absent from them, the world, our lives, our relationships, what's the result? Darkness, pain, brokenness, failure. And this is really what the Bible is all about. I mean, think about it. The Bible tells us that that light, which we were created to live in, created to function in and enjoy and find pleasure in, light was lost because of sin. Where we said, no, God... You gave us choice, but we're going to choose to do it without you, to leave you out, to rebel against you. Our sin is what caused us to lose the light. That's why we lost paradise. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Sin, our rebellion and disobedience to God, our saying we don't want you, we'll do life our own way. Sin entered the world through one man. Who was he? Adam. And death came through his sin. And in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. So light was lost because of sin. The Bible also tells us that God didn't like us being in darkness. He created us. He loves us. He wants us in the light. He wants us experiencing pleasure, not pain, and all the positives and not the negatives. He, I mean, he doesn't like our choice. And so what God did is he came along and he promised that the light would return. 
I mean, God said, you've, you've chosen darkness over light, chosen sin over me, but I'm promising you that I'll make it possible for the light to shine again. It's going to return. And it's all the way through the Bible, but look at a couple of passages. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself is going to give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. This is like hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was to be born. And God's promising, trust me, the light's going to return. Emmanuel's going to be born. And Matthew, the gospel, tells us what Emmanuel means. What's it mean? God with us. And what happens when God's with us? When God is present, the result is Yes. God says, I know you've lost paradise. I, I know the world is filled with nothing but pain outside and inside. But, but I promise you, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to give you a way to, to fix your bad choice. And, and then he goes even further in Isaiah chapter 9. He says it right straight out. The people, verse 2, the people walking in darkness. Who are the people walking in darkness? Everybody on this planet who's living absent of God because the result of living absent of God is darkness. It was the whole planet, all of humanity. The people walking in darkness all of a sudden says, he says, have seen a great light. Whoa. Those who had been kicked out of paradise, those who had lost the light and only knew darkness, now have seen a great light. And Isaiah says, on those living in the land of the shadow of death, that's all they have is death. A light has dawned. What is that light? Where is that light? How will we see that light? Verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We lost the light, the Bible tells us, because of sin. But God, because of his love, promised us that the light would return. And then you know what the Bible tells us? This is big. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. I mean, Christmas is not about tinsel and trees and presents, though. If you buy me a good one, I'll receive it. Uh, That kind of thing. But that's not what Christmas is about. Christmas is about Jesus. It's about the fulfillment of that promise. On that first Christmas, God re-entered and brought light back into our dark world. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Do you know what Christmas is? Light with us. Paradise returned. The opportunity to experience light over darkness. It's spiritual daylight savings time. It's awesome. It's here. And then Jesus in his ministry in John chapter 8 verse 12 says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Yes. Yes, because think about it. He's the light of the world. Don't you ever let someone tell you he never claimed to be God. Because the minute he said, I am the light of the world, he was saying, I am God. I am God. This is why people rejected him. He was saying, I am God. I am the light of the world. And then he says, if you walk with me. You'll have no darkness. Of course. Because where God is present, the result is yes. So if you follow Jesus, who is the light, if you're with him, there's no darkness in that. There's only light. Right? There's no sorrow in that. There's no bitterness in that. There's no anger in that. There's no unforgiveness in that. There's no hatred in that. There's no conflict in that. There's no selfishness in that. There's no despair in that. There's no hopelessness in that. No, when you follow Jesus, there's no darkness because he's the light. And when he's present, there is no darkness. Now, this is so important. I mean, the Bible tells us he's the fulfillment. And here's what we desperately need to understand. It'd be one thing for the light to be shining on the outside of us, but us not experiencing it on the inside, because that's what was going on in the Garden of Eden. God was still there. He's still present. Yeah, he was talking to Adam and Eve. 
He's been present everywhere ever since. Even when they left the Garden of Eden, he was present there. How could he not be? But the difference was we weren't made to be physically in the light. We were meant to be indwelt by the light. The light in us. It's an inside thing. And so we were supposed to have God's goodness in us, God's love in us, God's light in us. No darkness at all. But when we said, no, we're going to live life absent of you, we were then filled not with light but with darkness. And even though Jesus came back into the world, darkness still remained in our soul. And so the Bible tells us, and this is so important, that Jesus' death and resurrection is what made possible for us to experience light again in our soul. Look at Romans 1.17, for if by the trespass of the one man, Adam, death reigned through that one man, darkness covered us and indwelt us because of sin, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace... And of the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. Just as darkness indwells in us because of sin given to us by Adam, so light can indwell us again because of what has been given to us by abundant grace and the gift of righteousness through Jesus Christ. What is that? His death was him taking darkness on himself. Get this, the light became darkness for us. But then they put the light who became darkness in a tomb, and what happened? Darkness cannot keep light from winning. It can't. And so though he took darkness on, ultimately give him all the darkness you want, and he will win. His death was for our darkness and then his resurrection was so we would see the light can win. Think about it this way. The the death, burial, and resurrection is the picture of what we need to understand. See, when Jesus was betrayed and suffered and died and was thrown in that dark tomb, it seemed like darkness had won. There was no going back a done deal failure is final brokenness is real God created us for pleasure but pain is our only option darkness has won but then all of a sudden the light started glowing around the edges of that stone that were covering the tomb and God rolled that stone away and Jesus walked out and what was once again shining on this planet light He became darkness for us, but then he became light for us. You might feel like darkness has won, like that darkness is final, that there's no options with it, no going back because you failed. You're filled with shame and guilt and dysfunction and brokenness. You're ruled by darkness in your personal life and your thoughts and your behavioral patterns and your relationships. And darkness has won. But I am telling you, darkness has not won. Jesus has. And we have him. This is big. And yet, before we get too giddy... Let's be honest. It really looks like darkness is still winning. I mean, darkness is reigning in this world. Pain and hurt and brokenness and failure. It's winning in this world. Why? Well, Jesus answers the question. The the reason that Darkness seems to still be winning in this world is because God is still absent from the majority of people's lives. God is still absent from the majority of people's lives. Jesus said it in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. Everybody's living in darkness. He says, that's a broad road. That's a popular place. That's where the multitudes are. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And there's just a few that find that. God is absent from most people's lives. 
even for most people's lives who claim to be following him. Many will say, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, "Ah, sorry, I just didn't know you. You said you were following me, but you walked in darkness. And you can't walk in darkness and be consumed by the light. And so the majority of people today still have God outside, and so darkness still reigns. Now to one of our questions. Why is there so much darkness in our world? Why does it seem to be winning? It's simple. Darkness remains where God is absent. Darkness remains where God is yet to be invited in. Darkness remains where God remains uninvited. And that's why darkness still is around. Since God is light, without him, darkness is the only possible result. Look at what Jesus said in John 3.19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Now, isn't that bizarre? I mean, they have the opportunity for light, but they choose darkness. Why is that? Now, now listen, this is so important. God is the ultimate source of light. Satan is the ultimate source of darkness. Anti-God. In the garden, that place of light, Satan had to come and he had to get them to see the light as darkness. So they would choose darkness. And so he lied and he deceived and told half-truths. And so he, he was saying... God's telling you this is light, but this isn't light. You haven't seen the light yet. He's telling you this is where you'll experience pleasure, but what he's doing is he's holding you back from true pleasure so he gets all the pleasure. That's why he doesn't want you to eat from that tree. But when you eat from that tree, oh my gosh, your eyes will be opened and then you'll experience pleasure. And they're going, that's what I want. That's what I want. You know why we want that? Because God created us for pleasure. God created us for light. And Satan has to lie to get us to choose darkness over light. And so they chose it. Same thing happens today. Look at 2 Corinthians 4.4. This is Bible. This isn't bread. This is Bible. The God of this age. Who's the God of this age? Satan. Why is Satan the God of this age? Because the majority of people have chosen him. He's the God of this age. He defines our culture. That's why darkness reigns. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. He so blinded them that they see his darkness as light and God's light as darkness. And there are some really intelligent people who are self-deceived about how intelligent they are. High IQs, low levels of wisdom... And you might even be listening to this talk right now and go, is he talking about the devil? He believes in the devil? Oh my gosh. What kind of idiot is that? Satan is so powerful that he is able to deceive you into thinking he doesn't even exist. Who's the dumb one now? This is true. And just know this. Satan is more powerful than us. He's, more, he's smarter than we are. And he's able to deceive us every time. Unless we're trusting God. Who's smarter than him every time. And more powerful than him every time. But we don't trust him. See? If God says something about love. We go, ah, that just doesn't feel right. If God says something about purity. Eh, to have pleasure if God says something about finding no that just I don't feel secure in that if God says something and we don't trust him and the minute we don't trust God you know what we've done we've allowed Satan to turn God's light into darkness and his darkness into light no wonder we live in darkness but remember the series title let there be light let me let me give you the application in Michigan, we have no choice but to put up with the darkness in winter. There's nothing we can do about it. I just have, I've got bad news for you. It's going to start getting dark at 4 p.m. like it or not. 
You can whine. You can whimper. Stop doing it. Just make chocolate chip cookies and down them by the dozens because it's going to get dark in Michigan. But in our lives and in our relationships, we no longer have to live in darkness. The choice is ours. Because Jesus came and paid the price for sin and rose again and defeated death and darkness. The choice is ours. Think about this. We get to choose light or darkness in our lives. That's what Jesus said in John 12, 46. I have come into the world as light, he said, so that no one who believes in me, no one who makes the choice to invite me into their life should stay in darkness. If God is in us, what happens Darkness is eliminated. The dark spots in our lives only exist because we fail to invite God into them. Can I say that again? The dark spots in our lives only exist because we fail to invite God into them. And let's be really honest, we have dark spots in our lives. Even those of us who are followers of Jesus We have dark spots in our thoughts, in our thinking. And it's because we don't invite God into our thinking. We reject his truth. We have dark spots in our choices because we don't invite God into our choices. We think making our own choices will lead to a better place. You know what we say? Forgiveness is better than permission. The only problem is forgiveness comes with brokenness on top of it, right? You have to go through brokenness before you get forgiveness because of your failures. There are dark spots in our relationships. All of us have these dark spots. Why? Because we haven't invited God into the relationship fully. The dark spots indicate places where we haven't invited God in because darkness always remains where God remains uninvited. So I'm wondering, can I ask a really personal question just for a minute? going to get really personal do you have any dark spots in your life these days any dark spots in your relationship any places where pain and brokenness and failure define you it means that you haven't invited God into those dark spots but you know what's good news (laughs) when it seemed like darkness had won Jesus came out of the tomb when it seemed like darkness has won light won and when it seems like darkness has won in our lives and so often it does in mine darkness hasn't won I just haven't yet invited God in to take away that darkness and you know what Jesus says in Revelation 3.20 he says behold I stand at the door and knock he's talking to a church actually Laodicea. And behold, I stand at the door and knock. If he's standing at the door knocking, what does that mean? He's on the outside. Where God is absent, what's the result? I believe right now God is knocking on some of your hearts because you haven't invited him into your heart. That's why it's so hard, so cold. I believe God is knocking on your thoughts because you haven't invited him in. God is knocking on some of your choices because you haven't invited him in. God's knocking on some of your relationships because you haven't invited him in. And he's saying, but I'm knocking and I'm going to keep knocking because I came so that I could consume you with light. One of my favorite artists early on in my Christian walk was a guy named Keith Green. He died far too young, but he was a guy who I could relate with because he was a messed up guy who found the transformative power of Jesus to be real and he sang like it. And there's this one song called Your Love Broke Through. Listen to this, just one sentence. With one touch, God, you rolled away the stone that held my heart. With one touch, you rolled away the darkness and replaced it with the light. With one touch. Do you know why darkness is reigning in our lives, in our relationships, in our world? It's because we've left God uninvited. But all we have to do is invite him because he's knocking. 
For those of you who are already believers, I know you're wrestling with dark spots because I wrestle with them too. But what we have to stop doing is wrestling because we can wrestle all we want and we're going to lose. But if we invite him in, we've already won. There are some here, God's knocking on your life because you've never let him in. You might be really religious. You might be churchified. But just because you live in the context of light doesn't mean it lives in you. And so you have to invite him in and I'm just encouraging you. Open the door. So just before I end and we go into worship, I want to pray and I'm going to ask if you'd all just honor the moment and bow with me in a word of prayer. And as we bow in prayer, if you're a believer, God's knocking somewhere, open the door, let him in. Let the result be light. But if you're here and you've never opened your life to Jesus, I'm, I want you to pray with me. I, I, I'm begging you to pray with me. I can't pray you in, but you can take my words in this prayer and make them yours. In your heart before God, just say, God, I'm hearing your knock. And inside, I'm filled with darkness and emptiness. But I prefer the light. I believe, Jesus, you died on the cross to take my darkness on yourself and that when you rose again, it was to put your light in me and I'm giving you my sin and by faith I'm receiving your light. Change me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed with me, I just quickly, please let us know. When I came to faith, I was lost. And I mean, it was like an, an ocean. I knew no, nothing about what I should do. So we've put together just some easy next steps that you can take to build your relationship with God. And we've made it really easy for you to get them. In the program that you're handed when you come into one of our regional campuses, we have this connection card. And all you have to do is fill it out, check the circle at the bottom and say, you know, I've prayed. And then we have boxes at every exit at all of our campuses. And all you have to do is throw it in there or hand it to a guest service person and we'll do the rest. We'll send you this information. Please let us help you. But let me conclude just before we go into a season of worship this way. Wherever God is present, there is light. Wherever God is absent, there is darkness. And darkness will always remain until God comes in. And so the series is going to spotlight some of those areas. This weekend we looked at the world. But in upcoming weekends we're going to look at relationships and lives and future. And we're going to see what happens when we invite God into them. And what we can do to make sure he fills us with light. So next weekend we're going to look at relationships. Don't miss it. Please invite people. It's going to be great. Does that make sense? I'm so glad that you were here for this. Now... I just want to have a time of celebration that leads into worship. If you're a guest, uh, or you haven't been here in the last couple of months, which would mean, well, you're kind of like a guest, um, (laughs) you've missed a series we've done called All In, right? All In. And uh, we're glad that you're here to hear it, even if you're a guest and all that different stuff, because we're an authentic and honest place. We want you to know what God's doing in the heart of this church family. But for those of us who are part of Northridge, we've been, over the last couple of months, challenged by the truth that God's not interested in partial commitment. He doesn't want us consumed with darkness with a little bit of light. He wants us to be all in. He wants us all in. And we've been looking at that. And the reason is simple. He doesn't want us wasting our lives on the temporary. He wants us investing our lives in the eternal. And here's the reality. God's kingdom's eternal, but we only have right now in our lives to invest in eternity. And there's only one way to do it, and that's by going all in. And so I am so thankful to be able to tell you that a great number of this church family have decided that eternity is worth the sacrifice and they've committed to taking their next step in giving to help the mission of God in this place go forward and for his mission to go forward in their lives. And I want to show you what that looks like so we can celebrate together. Make sense? And I'm going to be totally honest about what's happened, what hasn't happened, and celebration and challenge. And, and it's, but it's all good because God is leading and guiding us. Um, and so 
I want to remind you of where we've been. We, we have a current level of giving at Northridge Church that has been real for about six years. And that's that every two years, we have about $22 million to invest. So $11 million a year. It's been where we've been at for about six years. But over a two-year period, our present level of giving is about $22 million. And that comes from 6,500 individuals and families from this church. We're a church of about 20,000, total people on any given weekend. It's between 8 and 10. But that's because they act like guests and uh and then you know they come every once in a while but the key is 6,500 actually give at every different level you know from 10 bucks in a year to you know uh, larger numbers but just know this we don't have uber rich people giving here we don't have uber rich people giving here if the largest contributed Northridge church left, we wouldn't notice it percentage-wise on the bottom line. Just so you know, we're a bunch of normal people. Now, I say we don't have any uber-rich uber people giving here. I believe we have some uber-rich people attending here. <laughs> Just a thought. But not giving. So... Our, our current level of 6,500 at every different level that they give, $11 million a year. And so we've been pressing. You have to keep stepping forward in your spiritual journey. And we just encourage everybody, take your next step in your spiritual journey, whether it's your first time or you're going to extravagant. And, and a lot of people did. They filled out a commitment card and they went public. And no one likes filling out a commitment card and going public. I don't, but Roxanne and I said, we're, we're in. And we're going to make a commitment so this church family can know what they can invest against helping the world wake up to Jesus. And, and a lot of other people did as well. So I want to share with you the commitments to a new level of giving that we have. And this is to date. Cards are still coming in. People are still wrestling. But to date, I can report to you that new commitments have come in at $11 million over the next two years. This is additional Giving beyond the current level, 11 million. Uh, and that's celebration stuff. That's awesome. So each year, for the next two years, people have said, we're going to give at a new level, which equals about $5.5 million per year, 11 over two years. Which, and it's coming from 1,987 individuals and families. So 1,987 of people who attend here have made a commitment and gone on record saying we're going to take our next level of giving this is where we're going to give and we have 6,500 obviously who have already been giving here now we've tried to share a bunch of these stories and they're great stories but I just need you to know many of these commitments represent a tremendous sacrifice the truth is the greatest commitments that are happening at Northridge Church are happening from people who don't have a lot but they really have a heart for God. And so they're stepping up their giving. The greatest sacrifices are coming from the people who have the least. The smallest sacrifices are coming from those who have the most. God honors both but this is just the truth. And I just, I honor you who've taken step forward. I just honor you. I'm in awe of you. And it's allowed us to have a new all-in level of giving. And this is to date. It's going to keep growing. I know it is because people are still wrestling and so many haven't yet committed. But the new all-in level of giving is $33 million over the next two years. So from $11 million a year to $16.5 million a year is going to let us wake people up to Jesus, do a lot to make global impact happen and here and around the world. It is such an exciting thing. I think that deserves, you know, yay God. You know, that's awesome. But I know why you didn't immediately start clapping. Because we had set a goal and made it public that we were really praying for and shooting for 40 million, right? But when I announced that, remember, I said, we're doing our best, you know. Jesus didn't come down, write 40 million on a slip of paper, slide it across and say, here's the deal. I mean, I... We were praying, we were, you know, seeking his face, looking at reality and capacities. We know this place has the capacity for it, but because but 65% of the people who attended here didn't give anything. Only 5 to 7%, if we're being liberal in our estimation of what incomes are, 
could even become close to tithing. So we knew the capacity was here. So we set 40 million. But here's what I want you to know. The goal of 40 million is our goal. But this ministry is God's ministry. And where God guides, he provides. So we're going to trust him with what he does here. I mean, that's just what we're going to do. We'll trust him. It's awesome. And I just need you to know, I mean, because a lot of people go, oh, how do you feel? You know, you didn't reach your goal. Look at, I could care less about reaching my goal as long as we're challenging people to follow Jesus and we're doing our best and entrusting our lives to him. So I feel great. God's on the throne. This is God's church. We're going to make a huge impact. It's an awesome deal. And I am so grateful for all of you. I am so grateful for all of you who give here at Northridge. I'm so grateful for the 6,500 that have made where we've been possible. And I'm so grateful for the 1,987 of you who've said, we'll go on record. We're making a commitment to go forward in our giving here for the next two years to all in. And words can't express my depth of appreciation to you. They just, I just can't express it. But I can express one of the things that I think is so positive. During the series, I told you that I think the hardest step, every step that we take in the journey of faith is a hard step. It's difficult because it's into new places, etc. But I think the hardest step is the first one. I said very clearly, for the 65% who have never given anything to God through Northridge, it's, that first step's hard. And I challenge you, take that first step. And, and I just want to show you the, the graphic. First time giver commitments here. People who gave nothing ever to Northridge Church, 473 individuals and families have said, we're making a commitment to be all in at Northridge. You think about that? Nearly 500 people went from giving nothing at Northridge to saying, we're all in for the next two years. We're making a commitment. That's a big deal. And here's what's really exciting. 25% of all the commitments made We're from first-timers. 25% of all commitments. That's big. And I I think that a a lot of people already giving saying, well, he's talking to the first-timers. He's not talking to us. Really? You missed it? Because first-timers have a first step, but so do we. And, And I know a lot of people are saying, you know, I already give, so I don't have to fill anything out. That's true. You don't have to fill anything out. It's not like I can give you a verse where Jesus says, you don't fill it out, you're going to hell. I wish he had given me the verse. <laughs> but he didn't. You don't have to. But, but here's what I, I really want you to know. There's a ton of positive potential for us to wake the world up to Jesus. We defined what we could do with God's mission here if we had 40 million. And obviously, if it's 33 million, we'll have to redefine that down. We already had a hard time getting it down to 40. But, you know, we'll have to redefine it. We'll live with what God gives us. That's, that's how we live. We don't do debt junk. But... I don't think we're going to end at 33. Because two-thirds of those who give at Northridge Church are yet to fill out a card or communicate any kind of commitment to us for all in over the next two years. Two-thirds, that's a lot of people. And I've talked to some of them. They're still wrestling. They're still wondering. They're not sure where God wants them to go. And I get it. I wrestled a long time before I could just stamp it and take the step. But we want you to know, those of you who haven't yet taken the step, there's still time. You can, you can get a card from guest service at any time at any of our regional campuses. You can go online, northridgechurch.com, and fill it out there. It's all online, and you can make that commitment. And just know this, the more commitments we know about, the better we can lead and plan with confidence because, you know, we're just guessing otherwise. And we're not going to take risks with God's church. And so the more that's communicated, the better confidence we can have in going forward. But for all of us, here's what I want you to know. Our giving to All In begins now. Now, some of you said, wait a minute, I've already begun giving. That's extra. That's awesome. That's great. Just kidding. I mean, right now, it's all in time. So beginning this week, everything that you're giving goes to all in. And and don't forget, we've always done like 
special offerings at Christmas, big Christmas offerings, like you do your year-end giving because, you know, the whole tax ramifications and all that, and you make it big at the end. And we've done Christmas offerings. We've had anywhere from 700000 to $2.5 million Christmas offerings, and it's gone to global impact and building hospitals around the world and all that. But remember, we're combining all of our giving to the mission of waking the world up to Jesus locally, regionally, and all. It's all, all in now. And so everything we give as Christmas and year-end gets to go to all in to expand this impact and just want you to know it begins now. And then I want to conclude this way. I am so proud of this church family. I am so proud of each of you who have committed to take your next step. Because it's not easy moving forward. I know I have to keep moving forward. It's not easy to trust God as you move into new territory. It takes a willing to trust him enough to step into the unknown. To do sacrifice more than you know other people are sacrificing. And many of you have. And some of you still will. And this I know, none of us will regret it. None of us will regret it. There's only one thing we're going to regret. We're going to regret if we chose darkness over light. We're going to regret if we trusted the stuff God gives more than God himself. We're going to regret not waking up everyone we can to Jesus. That's the only thing we'll regret. And I'm so proud I'm part of a church family that says we'll sacrifice to let the light shine in this world. And what I want to do as a final point of celebration is I want to thank God because he's the one that's the light. He's the one. And so I'm going to ask you, if you would, just before I have the team come out and we end in worship, to pray with me. Dear Jesus, I thank you so much for what you've done. Bursting forth out of that tomb so that we never had to live in defeat to darkness again. I thank you so much for it. I'm in awe that you can take every dark spot in our life and you can turn it into light when we entrust it to you. And I thank you for all those here at Northridge who are doing that even in the area of their finances. And God, I thank you for what you've done in multiplying resources so that we can do more to help the poor, the hurting, the lost in this world, here and around the world. Thank you for what you've done. May you give us wisdom and power and passion to match the resources you've given us to change the world and may the world never be the same because of it. And God, I just want to end this time of celebration by repeating to you your words to us as a benediction to the whole all-in experience. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. God, that passage tells us clearly that you are a great God and we have the privilege of knowing you. For that, in Jesus' name, we give thanks. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks, everybody.